There's a lot to say about the deliciousness of steaks, burgers, and kebabs, and the wonders of a summer cookout. But we figure, why go through all the trouble when beef can speak for itself? Just listen. Translation, beef. It's what's for dinner. Funded by beef farmers and ranchers. Well, a welcome to Thursday coffee. It's not a Sunday coffee. It is not a Wednesday coffee. We thought we were going to have Wednesday coffee after the uh, Tuesday game and the Liberty Bowl. Charlie and I, I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield, of course, and we are in the Farm Bureau studios. And, Charlie, we kind of wanted to take a step back. You know, a few years ago, we talk about this all the time, we had that uh, show that we did, the Monday Cool Down, where we gave it a full day. And then we're going to come back and we're going to say, okay. is it, And we went fire and brimstone a couple times on that show. But we wanted to give it two full nights. Give last night the night off, come back, get a couple nights sleep, not just one, and just kind of get the idea of how we're feeling. All right, Charlie, I'm going to ask you the same question I used to ask you when we started that show. Do you feel better? Do you feel worse? Do you feel about the same as you did when you left Liberty Bowl Stadium Tuesday night? I feel a little bit better, and let me be clear. I'm not happy about getting beat. I mean, we got smoked. We got smoked. But I feel better about the why now because I've had some time to come back. And, look, you and I were sitting um, in the press box area, and we were roughly FedEx jet level high, it seemed like. You couldn't see very well. And so it was sometimes hard without the benefit of Coach Polk's binoculars, which you have a hard time wrestling away from him, to tell who was actually in there at times. And a lot of times, candidly, I was seeing numbers I didn't know, so I was having to go to the scorebook. I reminded of the movie Major League, you know, the who are these guys. There was a lot of that for us. And when you come back and you look at the stats, boy, there was more to that than I even recognized at the time. And so, man, I hate losing. I hate getting embarrassed, and that's what happened to us. But I understand it a little bit more once you start understanding who didn't play. And we didn't know that as we were getting ready for the game, as we were signing off the pregame show yesterday. No, that's the thing, Charlie, is we're kind of the same mode as fans. As we get to the stadium, we do our preparation throughout the week or past couple of weeks, and you get ready for a game. And, you know, you hear whispers in the background, but nobody confirms anything. We're not giving any backside information. So we do a pregame show, and then the game starts. And then we go right into a postgame show. And then, you know, the postgame show the other night, you and I were both – pretty aggravated about the whole situation of we did not play well we got blown out 34 to 7 what's good about this not a whole lot but then you start really having a chance to look into who played and who did not play and yeah I know the first thought and hey listen I'm not making any excuses whatsoever I mean Texas Tech beat us 34 to 7 and it was not good I mean there was there was nothing not a whole lot of positive came out of it other than you did get some guys to play I'm looking on the offensive line, and I know so many people have talked about, hey, our defense had so many different guys out, and yes, we did. When you start looking at all the guys we had on the defensive side, to do what we did in the first half and to hold Texas Tech to 13 points in the first half, I thought was amazing. And I thought they wore down in the second half, and then the offense couldn't get anything going, and then it was just pretty much over. About a five-minute span. I thought a big five-minute span of the third quarter, our second and third possessions when we didn't score were the big possessions of the game. And then Texas Tech kind of runs away with it late. But, Charlie, just looking at it and then seeing 
the, on the offensive side. And I know a lot of folks are going to sit there and say, yeah, we had our quarterback and we had our wide receivers. And yeah, and I thought we were a little discombobulated with receivers trying to find open spots and we're not on the same page as Will. But then you start looking at, you know, we talked about ghost pressure in the pregame yesterday, about sometimes you feel pressure and it's not there. You start looking at what we had to do on the offensive line. And Will Rogers had the second most pressures as he's had all season long, save for the Alabama game. He had 16 pressures against Bama. He had 15. And am I going to come on here and bash an offensive line? Absolutely not. When I start seeing the guys and what Mason Miller and the offensive line coach had to do for this game, it is absolutely crazy when you start looking at who played and who didn't play. Let me tell you, Cam Jones, who's played a lot of left guard this year, a ton of left guard, he played 48 snaps all season long at right tackle. He played 74 snaps at right tackle. You didn't have Lashley on the outside. You didn't have Charles Cross on the outside. And I've seen a lot of people talk about how, man, I can't believe all these guys are opted out. All these guys didn't opt out. You only had just a few that opted out of the game. That's the thing about it. If you want to criticize, and I understand both sides of the pancake on this deal about whether opting out or not, but a lot of these guys didn't opt out. And so that's kind of undue for (laughs) – some of these guys were sick. Some of these guys couldn't play for medical reasons. And so you look at Cam Jones. He played 74 snaps at right tackle. Let's look at left tackle. You talk about replacing Charles Cross. Nick Jones, he played 31 snaps all season long. He played 74 at left tackle. And, oh, by the way, he played one snap against NC State. Everything else was against Vanderbilt and Tennessee State. All right? How about Albert Reese? 58, uh, 53 of the 78 plays he's played all season long, he was at right guard. So we talk about Cam Jones moving to a new position on the right side. How about let's add a guy right beside him who hadn't played at all this year. Albert Reese, 53 of the 78 plays he's played all year long. And, oh, by the way, the two games as he's played this year, Vanderbilt and Tennessee State. And so you start looking at everybody says, hey, we lost one guy on the offensive line, and then you right tackle. But, my goodness, it's amazing about how much turnover we had on the offensive line. And what does that do? It disrupts timing. What is this offensive system predicated on? Timing. We had no timing four weeks off, and we had a new offensive line. I'm not making excuses, Charlie, at all. And you know me, for people that listen to me know that, hey, I I will not go with a quote-unquote company line. But you start diving into who played and who didn't play, especially on both of these offensive and defensive lines, when this program is built on toughness, man, I'll tell you what, I'm not giving it a free pass, but daggum, we had some guys play that hadn't played in those positions at all all season long. Well, let's turn it to the defense. Um, And by the way, I want to give a shout-out to the defense. I know we gave up 34 points, but there is one thing I am not going to do today. It's bash this defense at all. You've had a lot of guys out there playing who haven't played before, and they kept you in the game. They kept you in the game. And honestly, I thought one of the best jobs our defense did all night was holding Texas Tech to a field goal right before halftime. We had the turnover down around the 10-yard line, Defense makes some plays, forces the field goal. They kept you within one score. They had you in a position to come out in the second half and win. People, you know, and I had somebody tell me, you know, boy, they had guys wide open. I don't understand why they had guys wide open. Well, how about this? You know who led our team in snaps defensively? There were three people who played 73 plays to lead us in snaps. Corey Ellington, 
Corey Ellington, much like Nick Jones and Albert Reese, the prior games that he had played in in his career, Vandy and Tennessee State, he has played 106 snaps all season. He played 73 of those two days ago. DeCamrian Richardson, 73 of his 210. A third of his snaps all year. DeMonte Russell, 49 of his 188. And you could go through the list, but the gist of it is you had guys playing more snaps in that ball game on Tuesday than they have played in their entire career combined. And, again, I understand people, well, you guys are making excuses and we ought to have better backups. Yeah, we, we do need better backups. That's absolutely true. The challenge is you got to go sign them and you got to give the staff time to develop them. I'm not ready to start calling out Mike Leach right now on the quality of our third team strong safety. And here's the thing, Charlie. You know, when we play Tuesday night, it's not like we're taking shots at these guys that played. At the end of the day, they're just not used to playing this many snaps. Is it going to help Nick Jones? Absolutely. Is it going to help Albert Reese? No doubt. Is it going to help Cam Jones playing at right tackle and getting a different position? Yeah, it's going to help. Was it the best situation to play in a bowl game against a Big 12 opponent? It wasn't. I mean, it was just trial by fire with some of these guys. And so we're not knocking Nick Jones and Cam Jones and Albert Reese and Ellington and all these guys, but they had just not been in that situation all season. No, absolutely not. And look, losing sucks, but there's a reason that we lost. And it's not because these guys didn't do a good job. It's because, look, man, to get thrown out in that situation, having only played against Vanderbilt and Tennessee State, and you could flip a coin as to which of those two is better, it's a big, big difference playing in this game. You're going to bust a coverage. You're going to miss a block. And, you know, kind of the idea, too, on offensive line, well, only one guy's different or only two guys are different. It only takes one guy making a mistake on your offensive line for everything to go wrong. On a given play, for everything to work, they all got to be dialed in. And that's just asking a whole lot when you have guys moving from left to right and guys playing where they haven't. You know, Bart, I, you and I rode back to the Peabody after the game together, and uh, I think it's fair to say we were both pretty frustrated. Neither one of us were terribly happy about where we were. Uh, and, in fact, I think you would probably uh, say that our mood on Tuesday night was a little bit darker than it is right now. Is that a fair description? Oh, yeah. Thank goodness there were no uh, tape recorders. And thank goodness um, I was deleting all of my group texts that uh, the guys were sending me. Thank goodness I didn't take part in that. I, I just kind of read through it. But, I mean, so we understand, and we talk about our group texts all the time, about, yeah, we, we know, we understand about sometimes you get some negativity because we live it every day, too. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I feel completely different right now than I did two nights ago. And I think the thing for me, I I was riding home yesterday, and I just grabbed the first Mississippi State T-shirt that I had. And, of course, it was one of those that had family written across the front. And, and I got to thinking, you know, one of the dangerous things about the modern world, particularly when you start to think about all the mental health issues that are out there right now, is how accessible some of these guys are and how easy it is to go out and put your thoughts about a ball game into the universe. And look, let me be clear. I have expressed some dissatisfaction with this football team. And look, I'm not at all satisfied by the way we played. This wasn't a good result. It wasn't a good outcome. And I think in a minute we ought to talk about whether it's a game we should have played or not. I do sometimes, though, I was kind of thinking about that word family. 
Bart, you and I both have kids that have played sports, so if there's anything we understand, it's the father who is a little bit tough on the kids. Uh, and so I sometimes think, like, if we're a family, you know, there's kind of two kinds of dads, right? There's the kind that meets you after the game and carries your bag to your car and says, no, nah, you didn't play good, but we'll get them next time. Hang in there. Keep your head up. And then there's a dad who puts you in the back seat and just the entire ride home is telling you how bad you were. It feels like sometimes as a fan base, and this just isn't unique to Mississippi State, we've all become that version of family. You know, the one that wants to tell everybody how bad they are and you can't do things and you're not any good. That's the one thing that I think kind of as I get older bothers me more and more. Not the idea of, hey, we came out, we didn't play good, we ought to be upset. No, you should be. But the way we start to look at guys and say, this guy can't, this guy can't, this guy, this guy, he's always messing up. Those kind of things, I think that's the one reaction that uh, I tend to be glad that even though I sometimes have them, we save those for the car ride and, and not for Twitter. Hey, I said it a couple of weeks ago. I don't think I follow a single athlete on Mississippi State's team, any teams, football, men's, women's basketball. By the way, how about the big win last night or yesterday afternoon? How about a 4 o'clock start? Nothing beats a 4 o'clock start in the midweek. Beat Arkansas by 13 yesterday in basketball. That was phenomenal, but that's a, another story for another day. But I'm with you, Charlie. The world with accessibility, we talk about mental health of athletes, and sometimes you start looking at some of the tweets and some of the things you see on social media sites, and you start talking about mental health. And because that's one of the first things in today's culture, and that's you know what I try to tell you know, my daughter playing basketball, you know, don't listen to the stands. Listen to your coach and listen to your teammates because there's a lot of outside noise in the world today. And that's, you know, but, but at the end of the day, the, the first thing she's going to do is listen to that mama in the stands that's yelling for to trap when her coach is telling her to back away. It's the same way with college athletes. You can sit there and say, don't look at Twitter. Don't look at social media. Don't look at Instagram. But the first thing they're going to do when they get on the bus on the ride home is they're going to pick up their chicken sandwich before they get on the bus, and then they're going to start reading through their notifications. That's just what they do and who they are. And so, yeah, they do see it. And you kind of do wonder what it does to them from a mental standpoint. Now, at the end of the day, hey, they're 18 to 22 years old. We can't sit here and say, hey, they're just kids, and then come back later and say you got to treat them like adults. I mean, but at the end of the day, man, some of these things that people say to people on Twitter and on Instagram, on Facebook, is just absolutely amazing. I had a guy, let me tell you, I had a guy post on my Facebook, my personal Facebook page last night, we got to fire Mike Leach. And I'm sitting there going, brother, I don't even know who you are. And you want to get on my personal page where my 16-year-old daughter follows me? What, what, what's going on with the world? What are we doing anyway? But I can take it. I mean, I don't care. You can talk bad about me. You talk bad about me every day. My wife talks bad about me every day. I can take it. But I couldn't imagine being an 18-year-old kid trying to do the same. You know, the the problem with Twitter, too, is that there's no room for nuance. I made a comment uh, on Twitter that Memphis was to officiating as New York was to barbecue. And I had some New Yorker ready to fight me for impugning the reputation of New York barbecue. Uh, it's just, it's the world we live in. Uh, but you know, Hey, you kind of hit on something and that is, there's kind of a catch 22 in some of these things. And I go back to the question of whether this ball game should have been played or not. You kind of raised that. 
you know, one of the reactions that's interesting is we have people on the one hand saying, and again, I understand both sides of the argument, but we will have kind of this idea of Mike Leach, you cannot criticize your players who aren't playing in this game. They have the right to opt out. It's a bowl game. It doesn't matter. It's inconsequential. And then we're going to get mad because we didn't win it or because we didn't have the guys ready to play. That's a tough spot to be in as a coach to say, okay, I can't pressure the guys to play. I can't criticize them for not playing, but I have to have them ready to play and wanting to play. Oh, and by the way, we have a lot of guys who are sick. Now, the thing is, there can be some truth everywhere. As a collective team, let's let's strip away everything for a minute. Let's strip away all the snap counts and everything else. It looked watching that game like one team wanted to be there more than the other. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know, but it looked that way. And so I understand there is some room to say, man, boy, I don't know. On the other hand, there's part of me that wants to say to Mike Leach, you know what, thanks for going out there and taking it like a man and playing with what you had and not pulling a stunt like the guys out at College Station who, hey, we're already going to opt out because we're going to be sick in two weeks. Well, that's what I was going to say is, you know, there are whispers around the league right now and everybody's kind of got the wink-wink about what Texas A&M did. Hey, I don't have a quarterback, and do we play this game? And that's, that's what I was going to ask you, to be honest with you. You just jumped into it of, you know, should you play this game? And let me tell you this. I think what it shows you is, yeah, we had a number of guys we had a number of guys who couldn't play in that game. And there's a lot of teams around the country. There are some teams around the country that would not have played that game if they were in our shoes. And so then you ask yourself the question, was it worth playing? I think I think what it does is it, it kind of shows you that, you know, Mike Leach wants to play a little bit more than Jimbo Fisher. Shows you that John Cohen wants his team to play a little bit more than Ross Bjork. And so that's the thing I look at is, was Texas Tech 100%? They were closer to 100% than we were. They had a couple opt-outs, but they were a lot closer to 100% than we were. Well, and, and here's why. One of the reasons, you know, we did our, normally we call it the Friday deep dig. We did a deep dig coming into that ball game, and the guys that we profiled, the guys who were their best players, we said, hey, keep a lookout for Colin Schooler, the linebacker. He led the team in snaps defensively in that ball game. You talked about the running back. And what'd he do? He, he went over 100 yards, I think. Yeah, we talked about Taj Brooks. He had 107 yards on 16 carries, averaged seven yards a carry. I talked about Donovan Smith, the quarterback. And, hey, by the way, let me tell you, Donovan Smith continues to get better. I mean, he made some good throws, some really good throws in tough situations in the third quarter. I mean, the guys we talked about that could be the guys for Texas Tech all played in that game. Another thing we talked about in our deep dig, Charlie, were, were our numbers. I don't think I hit on anything. I mean, I said we needed to score 30 points. Missed that one pretty bad. I said Makai Polk needed 14 catches and was going to get 14. He got seven. And the reason he did it, Charlie, and the reason he only – the only reason he got 14 is – he didn't get 14 is because he got hurt early on. And I, I looked at you right then and said, okay, there's my excuse. You will remember that in our deep dig, you said he would get 14 catches, and I asked you if we were going to play the game twice. As it turns out, playing it twice would have gotten you where he needed to be. That is correct. But like I said, had he not had to come out of the game and a little bit gimpy, that just kind of took him out of his rhythm. He, he would have gotten those. And so I also said that we needed to hold. Wait a minute. He was out for one play. One play. He went to the sideline and came right back. But he wasn't 100%. 
I mean, that's what I said. He didn't come back 100%. You could tell. I could tell by his facial expressions from the top of the Liberty Bowl Stadium that he um, he, he was not at 100%. Makai Polk was targeted nine times, which is more than anybody else on our team. He would have been targeted 17 times and had 15 or 14 catches had he been 100%. But I digress. I also said we needed to keep Texas Tech to four or fewer plays of over 20 yards. Um I think they had four, but, man, they had a lot of plays between 15 and 20. And so I, I hit on absolutely nothing. Of course, when you when you get beat 34 to 7, you're not going to hit on a lot of numbers. But, hey, you also said we were going to get a 450 yards passing. And, sadly, I sit here today like a lot of people who expected a much bigger offensive output than we really got. We're not alone in having talked about it, but I thought this was going to be the ball game. As you've commented, we were going to go for two at the end only because we couldn't go for three. Yeah, it wasn't that game. I said we needed – or I didn't say we needed. I said we were going to get 450 passing yards. And I said I was confident about 400. Uh, didn't do it. I said we needed a 30-yard kickoff return. I don't think we got that. I also said we needed to hold Tech to two trips to the red zone pointed out that they'd only been there one time in the past two games coming in. Tech got to the red zone six times and scored on all six. Meanwhile, we were the ones who only got there twice. Yeah, we uh, missed that one a little bit, just a tad. Yeah, yeah. They got there and then uh, were able to get in the end zone. That was a big – now, I will say this. I thought they actually scored on one that was outside the red zone, and then I, I thought the guy scored, and then they ended up scoring on a one-yard run. So in that way of speaking, I only missed it five to two instead of six to two. Look, there are very few stats that you can go through that favor Mississippi State in the ball game. I thought that red zone statistic was one of the biggest. I thought their getting into the red zone and scoring six out of six was big. The other thing that I thought was really big was the fact that Texas Tech had explosive plays in the running game. They had a number of carries. 11, 12, 13 yards in the ball game, And I, I thought they did a good job of recognizing where we were weak and attacking it. I want to give Sonny Cumbie a lot of credit because I thought he had a very good game plan offensively. They knew where we were down and they went after it. And I thought their defensive scheme, we talked last year about how Arkansas changed the way teams approached us because everything seemed to be that drop eight, rush three. And I'm not sure whether Arkansas actually deserved a lot of credit for that. I think it had as much to do with Bo Pelini just being a moron in week one when we played down at LSU. But the thing we saw Tuesday night, to a greater degree than I remember seeing it all year long, was a team that just flat put a linebacker on our running back and just decided you are not going to check down, period, at all. And a lot of times you saw guys maybe four or five yards away from our running back, these guys were in their hip pocket. What was the old deal from Hoosiers? You want to know what kind of what flavor bubble gum he had? That's where they were Tuesday. And hey, what did we say that Texas Tech had become more 50-50? On Tuesday night, they were almost two to one running compared to passing in the first half. They rushed it twenty-nine times in the first half. They threw sixteen passes in the first half. They were almost two to one. So they realized real quick. They, you talk about Coach Polk and those binoculars. They was defensive GA sitting up in the press box. They realized real quick that Randy Charlton wasn't there. Crumity wasn't there. And so many of those guys up front were not there. And they were like, you know, we're, we're going to run between the tackles. 
and they ran between the tackles that first drive, and they realized they had it. It's almost like those old-school high school football coaches. You talk about Bubba Davis and Joe Gant and all these guys that were so successful because if they found a weakness, they were going to stay with that weakness. They realized they could run the football. Once again, they've been 50-50 run and pass under Sonny Cumbie the last four weeks. They were 2-1 to one Tuesday night, run versus pass, 29 rushes and 16 throws in the first half before the game got out of hand. I thought the real turning point in the ball game, and you may have mentioned this earlier, but early third quarter, I thought at halftime, and in fact I told you, we're going to get the ball, we're going to go score, and we're going to win this game. And we had, I think, a five-play possession, a six-play possession. Neither one of them go anywhere. I think we went five for 20, maybe six for 21. It was over. I thought it was over at that point or pretty soon thereafter. I think you would push the the mark of when it was over a little bit later. But Texas Tech, on their second, third, and fourth possessions of the second half, goes touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. Somewhere in that streak, it was over. You know what else is over? This big, tall cup of strange brew coffee that I'm drinking right now. Perfect morning, beautiful morning. Had a lot of rain yesterday come through the area. And I'm drinking Strange Brew Coffee right now. They've got three locations, two in Starkville, one in Tupelo, of course, uh, Highway 12, then University Drive in Starkville, Brupelo up in Tupelo. I'm drinking my Blueberry Cobbler flavored coffee. I've had so many tweets and texts and email. I've had emails saying, hey, how do you drink it? Let me tell you this. I'm not like you, Charlie. You are the, the black coffee guy, and I am not, uh, I am not what you call – a guy that likes strong coffee, and I don't like it black. I'm a little creamer. I'll put a little sugar in it. I mean, I'm not frou-frou with my coffee. I'm not full out, you know, full out, you know, drinking milk with a little coffee. But uh, to me, I tell you what, it's a little bit of creamer, a little bit of Splenda from uh, Blueberry Cobbler Flavor Coffee. It doesn't get any better than Strange Brew Coffee and Strange Brew Coffee House. It's like putting ice in your wine, man just unrefined you've never put ice in your white wine (laughs) wait a minute first of all we probably don't need to go down this path because i would have expected you uh to defend your manhood at least tell me you were pouring a good cab or something no i just try to think of the thing that would get the biggest chuckle to be honest with you i don't drink white wine hey and once again we are in the farm bureau studios farm bureau go with the home team check them out at favorites.com they have agents in every county in the state of mississippi Farm Bureau, just tremendous customer service, and so go online, go with the home team. Farm Bureau Insurance. Charlie, here's one of the things that I kind of hate you know, with football. Of course, we're going to have about a month and a half break now until baseball season starts, and we'll jump into our Friday deep digs again with Tracks Plus. And I'll tell you what, I thoroughly enjoyed having our Tracks Plus deep digs. We had our deep dig right before the – bowl game the other day and I did say we were going to win that football game I did say we were going to cover eight and a half and let me tell you this different than a lot of other people that I know I will admit when I am wrong and I'm fine for people to disagree with me I'm that's what's perfectly fine with me I'm okay with people to tweet me and have disagreements with me on Twitter I'm not going to tweet you back but I'm okay with people disagreeing with me and some people probably disagree we were sitting at halftime Tuesday night and our good friend Charlie Stevenson knocked his head, put his head in the door, and he says, "Hey guys, we got a long way to go before we hit your numbers." So people are listening to our numbers. That's that's the positive. And so, and Charlie's a numbers guy. Talk about Charlie Stevenson. 
And Charlie, you are, you are too, Charlie. But anyway, but I've thoroughly enjoyed our Tracks Plus deep dig. Tracks Plus, they've got the Barco equipment for the Forester, the Saney equipment for the excavators and the dirt construction guys, and man, all those guys. Daniel Bounds, you talk about Hoop Weems, Gresh Howell, and just so many great guys with that organization. And man, it's, it's just uh, it's it's been pretty cool to do that over the fall with football. Looking forward to it with baseball. Yeah, I am too because baseball is a numbers game. In fact, I was listening earlier today, a little bit of studying up on what went into the Cy Young Awards this year, how much fielding independent pitching kicked in, and then the differences in the war calculations between the effectively wild group and the uh, baseball reference guys. I I love to be a baseball dork sometimes, so we're going to have plenty of time for that coming up. But Bart, here's what I certainly don't want to come across today as being an apologist. And I, I want to kind of underline one thing. It's hard to find a lot good to take from this bowl game. But that doesn't mean, in saying there aren't a ton of positives, that we have to overemphasize the negatives either. If you go back and you say, hey, man, our program just took two steps back from this bowl game, I don't think that's true. I think this is one where you lick your wounds and you go back and you, you don't go into the press conference and say, hey, we lost because we didn't have all our guys. You own it. You move on, and then you try to get better. But there is nothing that says, as much as I would have loved to have gotten a win, there's nothing that says this has to be a program-defining loss. And candidly, if our program reaches the point where it's defined by Liberty Bowl games against Texas Tech, we got uh, bigger issues. I still think this can be a good football team, but I think you saw some of the things we got to have. We need depth. We need better receiver play. We need better quarterback play than we had yesterday. All those people played well at times this year, and the key is now you got to develop consistency. Now you got to get better every game. Can we do that? I think we can, but it's a rugged league. I get a kick out of this, Bart. Everybody loves to dwell on the SEC bowl record and act like it's a top-heavy league. The league's not very good because you're not winning bowl games. I don't want to cast aspersions on any athletes, any administrations, or anything else. But I think the one thing that I've seen over time is the bowl system as we have it right now doesn't work. I think the players generally view this as an exhibition game. And because of that, I don't want anybody to feel like they should draw too much of a conclusion from a bowl game in Birmingham, in Memphis, or in other parts unknown because I just don't think you are seeing these teams coming at it with the full effort. And we can criticize that or not. That's a whole different debate. I don't want to read too much into this game in terms of where I think this team is going to be next year. You hit the nail on the head, Charlie. Is what happened on Tuesday night going to affect my thought of this being a pretty good football team in 2022? No. I still think we're going to be a pretty good football team. When you start looking at the players that we had, and this is not me making any excuses and trying to to turn the table and and, and change the narrative right here. But at the end of the day, you look at all around the the SEC, and what's it take to win in college football? First and foremost, I think it takes a good quarterback. You start looking around the SEC and looking at all the different teams who are going to have a first-year quarterback next year. The thing that we're going to have, and hey, we start talking about some of these guys, and, and maybe you do have some guys start pushing and making your guys better. But we do have a guy coming back next year who's kind of been there and done that in this league, and there's not a lot of teams in the SEC that can say that. Well, let's go through them. All right, we know that Ole Miss will have a new quarterback because they have a very successful quarterback, a very good quarterback, who will be graduating. How do you replace him? 
Florida has a transfer out. A&M, transfer out. Missouri, well, all we heard about was Basilak last year. He's transferring out. Auburn, losing their quarterback. LSU, losing their quarterback. And the guy that they don't want now going to A&M, so make that work. Look, Alabama right now, Bryce Young, that guy's, look, he's really good. You know, what? won the Heisman Trophy, so call him the best player in the conference right now, other than Will Anderson. But that's a different story. But we're not going to have the quarterback excuse next year because it's either going to be Will Rogers, who's done it for a year and a half and has done well. Can he get better at some things? Sure. Show me somebody at Florida who can't. Show me somebody at A&M who can't and go back through that list. Or if it's not Will Rogers, it's going to be somebody who was demonstrably better, in which case you got no excuses there either. So I think for me going into next year, I think you're going to be good at that position because you're either going to have a good player that you have now or you're going to have a better one. So you start looking at what do you need to have to have a successful football team. It starts with quarterback play. I don't think you're going to have an excuse there next year. And so then you start to look around. I think we got some guys who, we look, we got some holes we need to fill. We got some guys who need to step up a little bit. But I think we're going to see the next two years Mississippi State have a chance to be really good. Now, what does that mean in the SEC? Boy, who knows? Because the margin between success and failure can be really, really small. You look back on this year, Memphis, you lost. Arkansas, you lost. LSU, you lost. Man, if you plays go right and you win those. Conversely, you won at Auburn. If you plays go the other way, you beat Louisiana Tech. If you plays go the other way, it's such a fine margin, and that's where you have to hope that experience matters. And this team is more experienced than it was coming into this season, or it will be next year more experienced than it was coming into this season. And look, we talked about some of the guys earlier. A lot of guys got their first experience, and they got a bunch of it, at least in the context of one game. And you hope maybe that helps them propel forward. Is it great? Are you happy about the loss? No. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to roll it up, and I'm going to throw it in the garbage can of 21, and I'm going to start looking forward to 22, realizing that we can be a better football team. You know who does have a lot of experience, a good experience? Somehow, I detected a segue there. Our friends at Bank First. Marcus Mallory, Moat Griffin, all these guys at Bank First, whether you're in the market for a construction loan, a mortgage loan, commercial lending, anything you need out of a bank, but more importantly, great customer service, great rates, anything you need, call our fine friends. They're growing bank. That's the thing about it. They are a growing bank, and they are very aggressive right now in Mississippi and Alabama. So check out our great friends at Bank First. I heard from John Shapley the other day. He's down in Hattiesburg. I mean, they're they're doing good work all over the state of Mississippi right now. Yeah, they really are. In the Jackson area, the Madison area, Flowood, anywhere. I'll tell you what, they're just doing a great job at Bank First. All right, Charlie, you said it a minute ago, need to flush this one. Football season's over. Hey, basketball, it was great to see Tolu back yesterday. Came out. Played well, held a tight lead at the half, really looked well, good in the second half. Shaquille Moore shot the basketball well. And so, hey, that was a good way to start. You always want to get that first one out of the way. And, hey, it's big when you start looking early in the season. You start going on the road. You got to defend the home floor. And Ben Howland and his men's basketball team were able to do that yesterday. And how much longer until we can start talking baseball on these Sunday coffees? I think we're a couple of weeks away. Week or two, couple weeks, we're getting pretty close. It ain't long now. We're inside of two minutes on the countdown. 
to baseball season. Got to talk a little bit of baseball with Coach Polk today. He, Coach Polk was fired up on Tuesday night. He was he was fired up. Travis Chapman now coaching with the Yankees. He was excited about that. He's got a defensive coordinator, former manager. It's now the defensive coordinator at Clemson or the co-defensive coordinator. He, he had a lot of uh, a lot of movement among his former guys last week. Yeah, and of course Buck Showalter, new manager of the New York Mets. So. Anyway, hey, enjoyed it as always. Thanks to our great uh, fine sponsors, of course, Farm Bureau and the Farm Bureau Studios. Our good friends at Strange Brew Coffee House providing the coffee. Well, they actually didn't provide it. We go get it. But it's uh, it's something that I'd pay a lot of money for because it's outstanding stuff. Strange Brew Coffee House, Tracks Plus, Bank First, and the Mississippi Beef Council. Beef, it's what's for dinner. Brought to you by the Mississippi Beef Council, Mississippi Beef Farmers, and their checkoff. For Charlie Winfield, I'm Bart Gregory. Appreciate you guys hanging out with us on a special edition of Thursday Coffee.